0: Thank you for downloading the IA podcast, the episode you're about to listen to was originally featured as a video on the IA's YouTube channel, IA London, but we've taken the audio and we've turned it into a podcast so that you can listen on the go. Enjoy.
1: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Markets and Morality, our IA show where we discuss contradicting opinions within the classical liberal free market tent. I will be your host, Adam Bartha, the Head of International Outreach here at BI. As you might have noticed, a lot of things happened in British politics in the last 10 days. Uh, right after the Jubilee celebrations, Sir Graham Brady announced a new confidence vote against the Prime Minister. And although Boris Johnson did win the vote, its sheer existence already weakened the Prime Minister. In most countries, it's rather unusual to have the fate of the prime minister determined by changeable rules of a political party. But as with many things in British constitutional affairs, a lot of the individual actions are guided by the respect of tradition rather than codified rules. But is it a feasible way to actually govern a modern country? As British politics is descending into a more American-style reality TV show at some points, the question often arises whether the UK should have a codified constitution in order to make rules clearer and less prone to misuse. After all, we know that London has been the birthplace of many constitutions that are still in place across the world today, so it's somewhat ironic that we haven't written one for ourselves. But maybe it's never too late. And in order to discuss this, I'm very happy to welcome two prominent classical liberal free market thinkers to debate whether us, classical liberals, should be supporting a codified British constitution. First of all, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Austin Morgan, who is a barrister at law in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Dr. Morgan practices private and public law, especially with an international aspect. He's also a writer and often lectures on UK constitutional law. So we are very happy and welcoming um, his expert opinion in this area. I'm also delighted to welcome my colleague, Sam Collins, who is with us today, as uh, Sam is the senior advisor to the IA di- director general, so whenever you hear Mark Littlewood clinks saying clever stuff it's usually sam who is behind the scenes so gentlemen it's a pleasure to have you here very welcome to the show thank you very much Um, dr morgan i would like to start with you and i would like to start with a rather hypothetical question if you had to design an ideal constitutional system without any kind of political constraints on adopting it What would that system look like? Do you think that there is an ideal country somewhere out there that the UK should resemble the most?
2: Um, The answer is it would be so abstract that it wouldn't sit within our politics and history. A constitution has to come out of our what some people call native tradition, though I think we should say native traditions.
1: So no ideal country at the moment, but in terms Uh, of basic uh, principles, what do you think the basic principles uh, can or should be for a codified constitution? The
2: first first, uh, modern constitution is that of the United States, 1789, and that's what everyone goes back and refers to in terms of constitutional principles. There are about 200 constitutions in the world, There's one website in Texas where you can look at them all um, and they all tend to try and do the same thing, but there are considerable variations within the constitution. I favor a constitution for the United Kingdom. I favor it because of the horrible experience of Brexit and the way our constitution broke down. And I would draw upon this website in Texas if I were ever asked to draft either a constitution or a bit of the constitution.
1: Sam, Dr. Morgan already hinted at some of the issues in the last couple of years when it comes to problems around, around our constitutional arrangements. If you look at the political developments, it's very hard to conclude that the system is perfect as it is. So. Why do you support the status quo, essentially? What, do you think that these problems would have existed even if we had a codified constitution? Or do you think that, yes, although these problems do exist, they are not significant, significant enough to outweigh the benefits of having a rather flexible, uncodified constitution arrangement? I mean, you
0: very well made my point for me, Adam. Uh, that basically the <laughs> the benefits of an uncodified constitution is the flexibility, and I actually think that Dr. Austin uh, summed up one of my major objections to a constitution quite well in his introduction. That a constitution that would work, that would actually, that would be the best, the thing that we were aiming for, is so uh, is not possible to achieve. It's uh, so I think if we're looking at the reality of how constitutions in a lot of countries, including the United States, Australia, Canada, have actually developed over the centuries since they were introduced, it doesn't actually seem to protect the country from um, from political uh, upheaval, from centralization of power in the state, whether that's federal or, uh, or state level. So... I think the I think the benefits of the uncodified constitution to allow the flexibility for a lot of these issues to be decided politically in the realms of you know in the realms of the uh, legislature are by far the best.
2: Um, you- Sam Sam is right to use the the word flexibility, and it's usually contrasted with rigidity. Now that is the position of Av Dicey, who is the father of our constitution insofar as we have one within the common law. But there is another Oxford professor, James Bryce, who wrote equally excellent books to Dicey. And Bryce, of course, is the person who formulated the slogan, flexibility and not rigidity. However, in his later life, he went on to be an advocate of written constitutions and specified the US constitution as a non-rigid constitution, which I would take some issue with. So I think the days of using the slogan flexibility versus rigidity to justify the status quo have run out of mileage on the runway. The Brexit crisis really shook the constitution. Uh, A lot of people, including the BBC, say it was all the fault of Theresa May and Boris Johnson. I take the view that it was the fault of Parliament and the fault of the judiciary, particularly on the second Gina Miller case. The constitution broke down. Someone like Lord Peter Hennessy agrees with that analysis. He blames the executive. I blame blame Parliament and the judiciary. And that's why I say that after 2000, when we had a lockdown, and I wanted to write another book, I chose to write a book advocating we should have written constitution. And of course, Boris Johnson in his 2019 manifesto had precisely that that proposal, a commission on a constitution in his manifesto. The Tories then resiled from that position, but I wanted brought back for the next general election and whichever party Says it's going to have a commission on the constitution. It will. Um, it will get my favor.
1: But it's not only the Conservative Party that tried to implement some constitutional reforms. It's New Labour also tried and failed. Um, it's Boris Johnson's government. It's it's a coalition government uh, with the Lib Dems. So why do you think it's so difficult to implement any kind of even starting process?
2: Easy. E- easy to answer. A new government preparing itself in opposition can have ambitious ideas, but if they don't try and implement them quickly when they take office, Whitehall takes over the project. The Blair project of constitutional reform was serious and went so far, but was taken over by Whitehall and Blair agreed with Whitehall. The David Cameron project of constitutional reform was also taken over by Whitehall. The Tory government is a song culott government, as I call it. In a sense, it's not been taken over by Whitehall. It has tried to change Whitehall by mm. its form of radicalism.
1: Sam, uh, you mentioned flexibility as one of the main benefits of, of the uncodified constitutional system. Uh, but surely you can acknowledge what Dr. Morgan also said about the brexit inflexibilities and the constitutional crisis do you think that there is any kind of tinkering that we can or should do on the science that would improve our constitutional affairs even if we are not starting with the whole new codified constitution
0: oh, absolutely but i think it's quite important to go back to dr austin's point from a little from uh, a bit earlier on the um I completely agree with him that Parliament and the judiciary were to blame for many of the constitutional problems that happened around Brexit. I am very, very far from convinced that having had a codified constitution would have reduced the, uh, the impact. For example, if you're having a codified constitution, presumably, and I don't want to put words in, uh, in Dr. Austin's mouth, but uh, presumably you would have a significant amount of judicial review attached to it. And if that's the case, then I don't see how you would you would likely have seen much more involvement from the Supreme Court during the Brexit process rather than less.
2: Sam, Sam, I want to um, I want to change the relationship between the three branches of government, the legislature, the the executive and the judiciary. Um, The Supreme Court went too far in the second Miller case. Hmm. Uh, Therefore, one needs a constitution to restrain a Supreme Court going that far. At the same time, one also needs to protect an independent court system, and I favor that. The answer always is that you come back to a fundamental document called, called the Constitution, which imposes powers, and also limitations on all the actors in the constitution. Now, this this is simply a literary exercise for wise people sitting around a committee table, and it is very difficult to do, but that is essentially what 200 states in mainly the the second half of the 20th century have actually attempted to do. I can only point out that the UK is uh, unique to the point of eccentricity on the question of a codified constitution. There really is nobody else that comes close, maybe New Zealand, not really Israel, but frankly, nobody else in the world. Now maybe some English people enjoy the sense, we are unique in the world, we do things differently here, but sorry, we need to get the three branches of government working together, and the only way you can do that is have some other voice telling them, you can do this, you can't do that.
0: Well, but this totally changes the entire basis of what the British political structure has historically been. Yeah. Britain, yeah, <laughs> but but I think that, well, that's a very different um, conversation, which, is quite, which I think is an interesting one. But I think that if we're going to talk about Having a codified constitution, then we need to be very specific about what we're talking about. The, his, the history of the, of the British state has always been the queen, the monarch in parliament, and the three branches of government effectively, I mean, sub-post glorious revolution, working from you know, the powers emanating from parliament. And so the whole idea of the British state has been that, de- that the democratic house can override the will of the monarch of the, of the judiciary and of the, of the upper house. And I'm not, I'm not quite sure I'm convinced that we want to move, especially when you consider, when you actually look at the United States, you look at um, even countries like Canada, even, even Germany and see the centralization of power that, you've, that you have in the central state and the diminu- diminution of uh, of individual liberties in a lot of those case- in a lot of those countries i'm not really sure that we want to be moving in that direction at all i think that would be a very
1: dangerous move do you think that centralization in the uk is Worse or better because of the lack uh, of a codified constitution? I mean, what are the areas where you think that the government overreach, you know, we are both classical liberals, where can you point to government overreach in Canada or Germany where you can't really do that in the United Kingdom?
0: No, absolutely. I completely agree that we have a huge problem with government overreach in the UK. The big benefit about the, the, uh, I'm going to use the hated term again, flexibility. But the big advantage of the British political system, as it is, as it has been historically understood, is that the democratic, the democratically elected parliament can change, can upend the rules of the game, and can radically change the direction of things. And in the in the United States, for example, what you've ended up doing is instead of having these decisions based on um, on democratic. Uh, democratic elections a lot of them have been decided uh, have been taken either by the administrative state or directly by the judiciary i mean mm-hmm. abortion is the obvious example but there's thing but uh, things around administrative state i think it's the exxon the exxonMobil uh, case which uh, basically said that uh, administrative uh, bodies can make their can make their own rules and will not be uh, cannot be uh, judicially reviewed sure. so sure. i don't so i really Think that it's a that the benefit of being able to democratically overturn some of these things without having to worry about uh, the con- some of the constitutional rules is a benefit. Um, so I think Adam,
2: Adam um, when we talk about codification or writing the constitution, one could write what we actually have as a conservative and say our system has evolved perfectly. It's in a pristine state now, so let's just write it down to preserve it. Um, I think if you wrote down the way the constitution works, you would want um, a neater, more equitable, more democratic design. So the whole process of codification would actually lead to constitutional change. I've become a convert to the idea of a federal UK in recent years partly because of the problems created by devolution. Devolution has stimulated separation. Uh, I think we have to put the UK back. And the only way we can do it, especially in Scotland, is separate reasonable Scottish people from the separatists by saying, look, we will recognize an entity called Scotland, which we cannot take off you, but that entity will sit within a federal UK and there Mm. will be a federal government in London or in somewhere else, which will have a limited number of federal functions. Mm. The Big problem, of course, with federalization is what you do with England. Uh, Do you create one state for England or do you try and make it more equal with uh, with the peripheral states? That is a real problem. It began to be addressed in the 1970s. It will have to be addressed again because uh, the pandemic did a great deal to stimulate federalization. One would have thought that London would have been in charge of dealing with the plague. Instead, it was the devolved administrations who asserted themselves Mm. and drew up a whole series of lockdown rules seemingly just to make them different from England. So we had this silly nonsense of people exploiting borders in order to avail of different regimes. That that was a very strange uh, voluntary federalization of the UK state. Um, It was done in an anarchic way for bad separatist reasons. I think we really need from the centre to share power through a federation, and a federation will require a written constitution.
1: What do you think about this point, Sam? Do you think that some of the long-standing disputes around um, devolution could be resolved with the codified constitution? And if so, that might be an additional benefit of, of having that sorted?
0: No, uh, that's, uh, Dr. Mogg makes an excellent point. And to uh, sort of my answer to your first, your original question about what would be the perfect constitution that we would, that you would consider is if, if, if I thought that we could create a perfectly technical constitution that laid out nothing more than the power that, Laid out the exact powers without any kind of need for uh, judicial review and uh, you know the judiciary being involved in separating the you know who has the right to do X and who has the right to do Y. I would gladly go for that. I think that that would be an excellent addition to the uh, to the British uh, to the British polity. I just don't think that's possible. Firstly, I don't think it's possible because. I, there's no such thing as a perfect constitution. You will, there will always be areas, even the Australian cons- constitution, which I would consider to be as close to what I would like to see as, that you, as you can get, you know, very, very, it, there's no, there's, no uh, there's nothing in there about what rights the people should have, individuals should have. It's all about the technical relationship between the federal government and the states.
1: Mm-hmm. If we could
0: import that here. Then, uh, e- but even that, you, you, there's a constant, uh, you know, there's a lot of judicial involvement and also a gradual and ongoing centralization of power in the Commonwealth government vis-a-vis the states. I mean, we, we see, it's the same as in America, you see a lot more power shifting from the states and territories to the Commonwealth government. But even if, uh, even if you could do, even if that was on the table, I just don't think that's politically possible. I think that any attempt to codify a constitution now would result in a huge number of negative and positive rights being uh, imported into it through mm-hmm. the through the constitution writing process. I just don't think it's possible to write a perfectly technical... I,
2: I, ag- I agree with Sam on the risk. In, in the book I've written, which will be out later this year, I've contrasted two groups of people. One is the common lawyers who think the constitution exists usually in their heads, And they want to keep it going uh, like Sam does because they say it has worked and therefore it will continue to work, which is not necessarily a logical conclusion about the future based upon the past. And then on the other side, I'm afraid I've had to characterize what I call the radicals. And while I would have been sympathetic to Charter 88 when it was set up in the 1980s, it has evolved into something very different. And I agree with Sam, there's a real problem that if you try and put a constitution together in a democratic way, you will be inundated with radicals who want to write their politics into it. As long as it's got their seal on it, they are happy, but they are not willing to work within a structure That is more broadly and democratically put together, including by using the existing institutions of our central government and our Westminster Parliament and our devolved parliaments. They would all have to have a big input into such an exercise. I don't underestimate how difficult my project is. I've already indicated that the best time to do it or start it is at the beginning of a new government, which has a very a very important legitimacy, such as the Blair government in 1997. The problem is, keep the project within democracy. Don't let Whitehall do it, because all you'll get is more Whitehall.
1: (laughs) I think there's there's (laughs) probably agreement between the two of you on that front. But Sam, I would like to push you a bit more about the kind of ideal constitutional system or ideal constitution that you have outlined, namely Australia's. If it's a very technical constitution, and I'm not up-to-date on my Australian constitutional affairs, but you (laughs) described it as a very technical description between federal and local state power, Um, do you think that we should not have a new kind of Bill of Rights to replace the Human Rights Act? Do you think that some of the more right-based approaches when it comes to the constitutional system is wrong because the current democratic mechanisms are dealing with it sufficiently? I definitely disagree with the second part of your statement, that the democratic system is dealing
0: with it, but it is dealing with it well. My, if you like, the sort of base I always go back to is decisions should be taken democratically. And I think that with the best will in the world, even almost no matter how well you write a constitutional structure, the uh, judiciary will take an ever-growing role in making
1: and deciding the, the exact outlines of rights. And to be honest, so just... are actually classical liberal outcomes. I mean, um... it's not always obvious to me that the people are necessarily supportive of classical liberal outcomes. So maybe right. a system that's made based more on checks and balances and different you know, power struggles between various institutions actually leads to better, from our perspective, more classical liberal outcomes rather than a purely had democratic mechanism i think that judicial decisions are a very bad way to set policy
0: of any sort and i i, th- I mean there are some areas where perhaps i'm st- honestly struggling to think of one but I, I can imagine that there are areas where oh okay slavery slavery is a problem is a perfect example where the state should that where you know if it was written to const if we had a codified constitution saying thou shalt not have slavery and the courts and the courts you know went around and found people who were being held as slaves and required them to be freed because of the constitution. Fantastic, great. That is a very black and white decision where you can say, yes, you know, 90%, 99% of people would agree. But I, I think I'm, I'm a bit like, um to paraphrase, I think it's Abbe Sears say, uh, on this, uh, what he said about second chambers of parliament. I think if it if, if it already agrees with what, the with what the democratic element wants, then it's superfluous. And if the constitution disagrees with what the democratic element says, it's a bit pernicious. I mean, I'm not really sure I want these kind of. To take abortion, for example, which is a very hot button issue, I don't think that we would have been nearly as well served if it had been the judiciary just making that decision based on a bill of rights than than it was evolving through our um, democratic structure.
1: Mm-hmm. But Dr. Morgan, you have already mentioned the timeline when it's ideal to implement or start implementing a new constitutional system. But in terms of the key pillars, what what do you think are the most important to include? Well, do you agree me, with Sam me, that it should be just the balance between the different institutional structures within the country, or should it be a more broad-based uh, constitution, possibly with bill of Rights or yeah. a Human Rights Act?
2: Um, I've learned after all these years as a practicing lawyer that what is best is as few words as possible, each word well chosen, because if you have long legal text, it will look like the UK's withdrawal agreement with the European Union, Hmm. uh, which was certainly not written to create legal certainty. Uh, and achieve something practical, uh, it seems to have had some other different objectives. So I do favor a constitution being written by artists and historians, as well as lawyers to have the virtue of aesthetics within it. Uh, That's how I see it. May I say something on rights? Um, For once this government has got something right on rights. There's been a long uh, desire to get beyond the Human Rights Act. The problem with the Human Rights Act is that it brings the Strasbourg Human Rights Court into our law much too much and unnecessarily so. This government is committed to a UK Bill of Rights and our Lord Chancellor Dominic Raab has actually moved with fleet of footness Uh, in his early stages in that post to bring it about. So this government might be producing a UK Bill of Rights, which will be very similar to the Strasbourg Convention, but these will be British rights created by our people and implemented by our judges, uh, largely without any deference to Strasbourg, which will continue, continue to exist out there as part of the Council of Europe. Um, I would like to have seen the Bill of Rights caught up in a bigger constitutional project, but it looks like we might be getting a down payment on a codified constitution, uh, just as the US Constitution didn't have rights in it at the beginning, but the first set of amendments, which were called the Bill of Rights came along some years after the original constitution and look at the way American people talk about their rights. They identify them by numbers. My first amendment rights, I'm going to take the fist. That's what we need. We need people to know the constitution is their constitution and that the rights put in it by the technocrats of this world will actually be resonating with yeah. the people out there. There are problems with rights, the so-called second amendment, on the right to bear arms doesn't actually say that, even though the National Rifle Association always says it does. Uh, The right to bear arms in the US was related to an armed militia because they didn't have a standing army. Uh, So, you know, the the gun control could be advanced constitutionally in the US uh, much more effectively than it has been.
1: We will not go down the rabbit hole of UK constitution or rather U.S. constitutional affairs. Uh, I think that might be a bit bit long of a conversation for that. I'm
2: not I'm not I'm, pro, I'm not I'm not proposing the right to bear arms in a UK constitution. <laughs> we have a different tradition, and it would be better to keep as many guns out of the hands of as many people as possible, and have the use of force exclusively exercised on behalf of the common good by specialist-trained institutions? I,
1: I think a lot of our libertarian friends in the US will disagree on that one. But putting that issue aside for a moment, one final question, both the, you, Sam, and Dr. Morgan. Um, putting your own personal preferences aside, whether you would like to see a codified constitution or not, if you had to predict that in 20 years' time, whether the UK will or will not have a codified constitution, what would be your option?
2: Uh, my my prediction is that at taking any 20year period in the last 200 years we will make better progress in the next 20 years no progress having been made in the last 180 years
1: okay sam what's your take
0: uh, I'm going to be a real downer. Um, <laughs> yes, I think we'll have a codified constitution. I think it will have been written by uh, left-wing administration and I think it will be a disaster.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam, that is the reason why when the Tories put this in their 29, 2019 manifesto and intellectuals like Vernon Bogdanor, who've been arguing this stuff for years... We're not being prissy about working with the Tories. That's the, way to, that's the way to stop what you fear happening. A right-wing government should do it and should get them some credit for being progressive and democratic in the process.
0: Well,
1: on this upbeat note, Dr. Morgan and Sam, thank you so much for a great discussion. I very much enjoyed the whole conversation. I hope so did our audience. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. If you're interested in continuing the debate, do share your thoughts below this video or by following i.e. London on Twitter. Um, And special thanks to our dear donors as well, without whom our work at the i would not be possible. If you do wish to contribute and support our work, consider subscribing to our i.e. Patreon account, where you can receive some exclusive content and have a sneak peek into behind the scenes as well. But for now, thank you for joining us, and I hope to see you in two weeks' time again.